title today, and I don't normally focus a lot on sermon titles, but the sermon title today is, Are You Fully Alive? It's actually a question. And I'd like for you to think about it while we're in this Risen series, Are You Fully Alive? St. Irenaeus one time said this, and I I want you to read it with me. He said it, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Now what he was saying was, the glory of God is present when a, when a human being really understands what it means to be alive the way God made us to be. Now listen, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a disciple, and I know what it's like to be fully alive, have passion on fire, on purpose, know what God's called me to do, and be running long and hard at it. And I also know what it's like to run out of gas. You ever been there before, Right? You ever wondered what your purpose was or where your energy was or you just felt like, oh, I don't even want to crawl out of bed today and you didn't have your fire? You ever been there before? I want to talk to you today about your fire. I want to talk to you about passion. Hey, this week that's coming up, they call it the Passion Week. And at the beginning of the week, people took palm branches and they waved them in the air. It was like a, it was like a, dog walk in Athens. I mean, it was like, come on, Jesus, through the middle of the thing, right? Jesus comes through on a donkey, right? And they're waving palm branches. And if you remember the scripture, they're even throwing their coats and stuff down in the palm branches and the donkey's walking. There's a lot of passion. And by the end of the week, the whole passion thing has shifted, hasn't it? And those people, the same people who were yelling, Hosanna, save us, Messiah. This is the guy. I read, I read the story this morning, by the way. I wanted to start my day by reading the Palm Sunday story. The Bible says that there were people that were followers of Jesus going through the crowd who had actually witnessed the, witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus, who were giving the testimony of how he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So these people are waving Hosanna, and some of them are walking around going, hey, I saw Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead. That's the guy. That's him that did it. And it mean, can you imagine how much that jazzed the crowd even more as they said, Hosanna? And then somehow or the other, their whole passion shifted in the next week. I want to talk to you about your passion this morning, all right? I don't know if you've read this book. If you haven't read it, it's a book that, that I've uh, read lately. It's called Not a Fan. Uh, Not a Fan is, is written by a guy, guy named Kyle Eidelman. And a uh, great book. I encourage you to read it. I wanted to read one portion of the book, and you guys know I don't ever read books, okay? So it must be a pretty important part, all right? I thought this was interesting. Listen to this. Kyle Eidelman wrote in Not a Fan, and by the way, the whole book is I'm not a fan, I'm a follower. There's a big difference. Listen to this. Here is the most basic definition of a fan in the dictionary. An enthusiastic admirer. Can you envision them for a minute waving their palm branches, enthusiastic admirers? That's the most basic definition in the dictionary, an enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy who goes to the football game with no shirt, and a painted chest. He sits in the stands and he cheers for his team. He's got a signed jersey hanging on his wall at home and multiple bumper stickers on the back of his car, but he's never in the game. He never breaks a sweat or takes a hard hit in the open field. He knows all about the players and can rattle off all their latest stats, but he doesn't know the players. He yells and he cheers, but nothing is really required of him. There there is no sacrifice that he has to make. And the truth is, as, exi- as excited as he seems, if the team he's cheering for starts to let him down and has a few off-seasons, his passion will wane pretty quickly. 
And after several losing seasons, you can expect him to jump off the fan wagon and begin cheering for some other team. See, he's an enthusiastic admirer. Boy, my mind went to all those guys with their palm branches on Palm Sunday. They were fans. Heard about this Jesus cat? This is supposed to be the new Messiah. Come one week later when they were yelling crucify him, the whole mob joined in and their passion had waned. Where is your passion? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, Jesus was very clear about passion. One time a guy came up to Jesus and he said, hey, I'm going to put it my way, okay? This didn't happen quite like that, but he said, hey, I don't have time to read the whole book. Give me the Cliff Notes version. What's the most important thing? All right? What's the number one thing? Here's what he said, all right? And Jesus said this. Look at that opening scripture today. Mark 12, 30. Jesus said, this is the number one thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, I bolded some words there. Did you see it, right? What was the word? All. All. Now, do you feel the passion in Jesus' words? I mean, there is no lackadaisicalness in it. He's saying, this is how you're to live. You are to love the the Lord your God with all of yourself, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I like to think of it this way. If you're a poker player and it comes to Christianity, you are all in. You are all in and you say, this is me. I'm fully vested in what I believe is the truth. Uh, C.S. Lewis one time said it this way. Uh, Christianity cannot be, you know, either, uh, you know, a, a, a mediocre thing. It can't be like in the middle. Christianity is either the most ludicrous thing in the world or it's the greatest thing in the world. You have to figure that out, right? I want to share a couple of quotes this morning. I'm talking about passion, right? Where is your passion? I want to share a couple of quotes that I read by people that I pretty much admire. One by William Booth. I want you to read this with me real quickly. William Booth is the guy who started the Salvation Army, a, a phenomenal minister who started this great work. William Booth said this, the chief danger that confronts the coming century, this is our century, by the way. This is the guy talking about our century. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. You think the guy knew what he was talking about? He was saying, listen, it's real easy to get passionate and, and then lose your passion. Look at this next one. The chief danger, oh, I'm sorry, this is John Wesley. This is the guy who started the Methodist church and, and it reached all over and, and, and brought great salvation all across Europe and all across America. John Wesley said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and the discipline with which they first set out. He's saying it's easy to, it's easy to uh, have the power as you start, but how can you keep that power flowing? And, and he says the journey of the Methodist church, the journey of the Methodist people, it will wane and they will become a dead sect without power, just a religion, if they don't keep the passion they had at the very beginning. Passion. So think about this with me for a minute. Who are the people who changed the world? Have you ever thought about this? Think about the common denominator from the people who actually changed the world. Are they always the prettiest people? Huh? They're not always the most beautiful people. Are they always the richest people? Are they? 
Are they always the most educated people? No. Are they, are they, are they passionate? Passionate people change the world. In our context today, I just think about Mother Teresa. Think about Billy Graham. Think about the passion of Billy Graham. Think about the passion of Martin Luther King Jr. Think about the passion. Think about the passion of Paul. Think about the passion of the, the, uh, King David. Think about that passion. You see, here's what happen, happens. Passion is what drives and fuels scientists to discover new cures. Passion is what fuels and drives athletes to break records, right? Passion is the fuel to accomplish the mission. All right, I got an equation. Hey, it's not anywhere on your outline. Just write it somewhere on the paper. I want you to write down math equation. You ready? Here it is. I want to put it up on the screen. Very simple. Ready? New equals passion. All right? New equals passion. Matter of fact, I'm going to make you say it like I say it. All right? New equals passion. Can you do it? Ready? New equals passion. Now, here's what I mean. And I bet you've already figured this out. Whenever something's new, you're passionate about it. You ever had a new car before? You ever, raise your hand if you had a new car before. Raise your hand. Oh, you remember how you loved that new car? Do you remember how when it was new, you wouldn't let anybody drive it? My, my future son-in-law, the guy who's engaged to be married to my daughter, sent me a video last night. He bought a new car yesterday. He was like tickled. He hit the button outside of it. It cranked all by itself. He was like, "Woo!" And then I saw him. He went to go get in the door, and he opened up the door, and he noticed there was a fly on the windshield. He was like, get off my car, you know? Let me tell you, six weeks from right now, the guy's going to have McDonald's fries and a Coca-Cola in the car, right? But, but right now, he's all passionate because it's new, right? It's a new car. This is what new things do. Have you ever seen new parents before? Yeah, passionate, right? <laughs> oh, they're careful. They won't even let you hold, support his head. You know, whatever it is, you know, they'll do all these. Little, and they'll take pictures upon pictures upon pictures. Come child two, three, and four. Huh? I don't know why we didn't take pictures of them, you know. Why didn't you take pictures of them? You lost your passion, right? Because you had a lot of passion going out of the gate, right? Have you ever seen a new married couple, by the way? I mean, have you ever sat honestly in a restaurant with a new married couple and thought to yourself, go get a room? I mean, sometimes those new married couples, woo, you know. See, passion, one more time, new equals passion, right? That's right. So here's the deal. This is everything. This is uh, new iPhones. Have you noticed how they'll sell out like that? You don't, you, if you don't get there early or get there that day, they're gone. And people, when they get their new iPhones, it's just like, oh, there's, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. You know, then later on, it's not. They don't have the passion for it anymore, right? New movies come out. People are all excited about the new movies, right? Have you seen the new movie? Got to go to the movie. Got to get the movie. I got to go to the 11, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, Thursday night showing. I'm going to go to the new movie. And they're not passionate about that later on. New equals passion right? See, that's the way it works. Now, a little teaching here on Palm Sunday. What about the new Christian? See, the new Christian is all excited too. I mean, they're ready to share their faith. They're ready to lay it on the line. They want to, when they study God's Word, they don't want to quit studying God's Word, right? They just want to keep studying God's Word. They want to keep praying. I mean, they're on fire. They're rolling. They've got passion. They're, whoa, right? And then, it, then something happens across time, right? And if you haven't figured this out already, passion leaks. You might want to write down somewhere, passion leaks. Passion leaks. And you've got to find the way to fill yourself back up. Listen to this scripture. Here's the challenge. Here it is, right here. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, this is the Apostle Paul teaching, and he says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or passion, right? Keep your, you got your pen, circle that word keep, circle that word keep. You know what that means? That means you can lose it. <laughs> Have you figured that already? If you, you got to keep it, you can lose it. And here's another thing it means. You might want to write a little note out there. It also means it is not automatic. It is not automatic that you're going to keep your passion. So if, here's the good news. You ready for the good news, guys? If you can lose your passion, if, you're, if you can have your passion drained out of you, here's the good news in Jesus Christ. Today you can get it back. You can get it back. You can find your passion all over again. And I got a little word for some of you. I got a word for some of you. You need your fire back. You need your fire back. You need your passion back. So today on this Palm Sunday, I'm going to preach about five teachings of Jesus. They're just what I consider five central teachings of Jesus that if you really want to be a passionate follower of Christ, get these things, ask questions of these things. What does this mean, this teaching of Jesus that Jesus says, hey, I, I, I'm supposed to live this way. This is the best way for me to live. And if you'll hold on to these things, I think they can revolutionize your life and you can stay in that passionate place, refilling yourself, all right? So I'm calling it five ways that Jesus taught, five central teachings of Jesus that Jesus taught to keep your fire alive. By the way, in my notes, I've written a different title for this. Instead of five ways Jesus taught, I'm calling it um, How to Avoid Becoming Old, Cranky, Boring, Uptight, and grown up, you know, that's, this, is how you, this is how you stay alive in Christ, all right? You got your pen? Write this down with me. Number one, Jesus taught that I'm better off young. I'm better off young. Hey, you remember this little child I, taught, I, I put my hands on earlier and I said, I want you to remember him? I want you to think about this child. I want you to think about a child. I want you to think about their, their childlike passion. I want you to think about their childlike faith. I want you to think about their childlike trust as we watch this portion of the Risen movie. And maybe you'll see a little bit of that in Bartholomew. To win by spreading fantasy. By mine own eyes, Tribune, I, I, I walked with him. He spoke to me. It's unbelievable, but it is so. And conjure him up right now. Or show me the body he must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God... Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. <laughs> well, so it appears. What does this rebirth mean? What? Eternal life. For, for, for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvelous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are few for now and our only weapon is love but this well this changes everything what are your intentions why do you fear him so this empire means nothing to him render unto caesar what is caesar's that's what he taught us what if i ordered your crucifixion what would i i would happily Submit. Strike. But I ask you one last time. Where are the other disciples? I will not ask again. Tell me, and you're free.
give your word. My word? Where are they? If you haven't seen the movie Risen, I certainly encourage you to go to the theater now. It's still in theaters right now. It's a wonderful way to support Christian media here in America. I love this, I love this character actor they chose for Bartholomew because you can see the passion in him and you can see this thing that I'm talking about right now that Jesus taught us that you're better, I'm better off young. And we really need to understand what that really means. One time Jesus was teaching... And, and I, I've said it before, Jesus had a way of taking very ordinary things. He didn't manufacture things up. He didn't deal in abstracts. He would take normal things and he would say, this is the kingdom. Just, just look at this. And one time he took a child and he held the child up right in front of everybody else. And he said, oh, well, let's read it. He says, uh, it says in Matthew 18, he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children. He was saying, this is what your goal is. And here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew life has a way of jading us. It has a way of making us become cynics. Over time, if we just live in this world and kind of grow up and get all the responsibilities and the rules and the regulations that we do, we find ourselves one day all grown up and all judgmental and harsh and cynical and we got all this junk. And Jesus was saying, listen, here's the kingdom. My kingdom looks totally different. My kingdom looks like this, that you would figure out what it means to go back where you began. Go back to that place where you weren't cynical, where you weren't jaded, that you weren't judgmental, you weren't harsh, you you didn't know it all. Go back to that place way over there. And Jesus was saying, if you can change and become like a child, what does this world look like, right? Remember this? What does this world look like? Think right now of the faith of a child standing on the side of a pool Willing to jump off. You ever been there before? Jump, jump, jump. And then they just trust you. Think of the faith of a child and how pure it is. Think about that word purity in a child. Think about the happiness of a child. Think about the joy in a child. You see, too many people grow old and they're not, they lose their joy. They lose their hope. They lose their purpose and they lose their passion, right? But for a child, the whole world's before them. They don't know what holds tomorrow or where to, what tomorrow holds, but they are, they're excited about it. Jesus taught when he held a little child up in front of people like you and me. Listen, the fullness of that passage, he says, you will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. And you go back. You go back. He was teaching us about the best way to live, regaining your passion is going back to what it looks like to be a child. I'd encourage you to ask yourself what that would look like for you today. Write this one down. Another teaching, another central teaching of Jesus was Jesus taught that I'd be better off dead. Uh, What, Stephen? Yeah, write it down. Jesus taught that I would be better off dead. Now, by the way, this guy in the movie, this tribune guy, this guy who's looking for the body of Jesus, you remember him, right? He was called the tribune. And the tribune, interestingly enough, only lived for himself. I mean, when asked what he, wanted, what he wanted in the world, he, he wanted a home, he wanted riches, 
and he wanted some type of peace, the absence of war. He was living for himself, and then all of a sudden he begins this journey for the, trying to find the corpse of Jesus, and his whole life changes. In the journey for the Tribune, by the end of the movie, and I don't want to give too much away, but by the end of the movie, he's abandoned this life living for himself, and he's actually experienced the risen life. And now, he doesn't care about being a tribune anymore. He doesn't care about Rome anymore. He doesn't care about riches and money anymore. You know what he cares about? He cares about the purpose that Christ has him to journey in the world. Read these words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But for whoever loses their life for me will find it. In Luke 9, he said it this way, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Boy, the first hearers who heard that, that must have just really been hard for them to understand. Because when they heard the word cross, they heard the word crucifixion. And he was saying, you must die to yourself if you're going to follow me. And then look at that next passage, Romans 6, 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus was saying... You're better off dead. By the way, it's not a great recruiting slogan, is it? I mean, can you see Donald Trump or or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders? Die with me. Die. No. It doesn't sound like the greatest recruiting slogan. But what Jesus was saying was, listen, if you will really learn how to give your life away, if you'll learn how to give that old life away, you can then become fully alive. You'll never know what it's like to be fully alive until you die. Jesus was telling that. He was helping us to understand that. You know, as as I came to grips with that in my own life, I I guess the way that I could best understand what this meant to die to self is that I can only have in my life two bosses, two masters. It's either going to be me, and I'm going to be the boss, or it's going to be God, and he's going to be the boss. And I think what Jesus was saying was, listen, you want to really know the best way to live? It's not with you as the boss, even though you really think that, and even though you really want that, and even though that gives you great visions of what you would want, right? Jesus is saying the best way for you to live, if you're going to be following me, the best way for you to live is to allow me to be your boss. I think in a different way, Jesus was saying this, you want to be a fan? You want to be a fan of Jesus? Then why don't you just, you can be your own boss and you can be a fan. There's not a lot of cost to being a fan. But if you're going to be a follower, Jesus said, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. You're going to have to die to yourself in order to follow me. And Jesus was saying, the best way for you to live is dead. Dead to yourself and now alive in me. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means for me. I know for me, that means that instead of me trying to control all my decisions and having all of that stuff that I do um, on me, and it being my responsibility, that if I will just die to all of that, then I can entrust those decisions, I can entrust his leadership to whatever he leads me in. Now, I want you to think about the paradox here, right? You can make your own decisions, and you can chart your own path, or you can let God make your decisions, and you can let God chart your own path. You can be dead or alive. Which one do you want to choose, right? Here's the option. Jesus was saying this, follow this track with me here for a minute. Jesus was saying, if you'll just lay down, if you'll just die, all, give up all that stuff, if you'll lay down that stuff 
And if you'll do life my way, I'll show you how to really live. And then you won't have to worry about all that stuff. Did you know, by the way, that dead people don't worry? Did you know that? Let me tell you some other stuff dead people don't do. Dead people don't stress. You ever thought about that? Dead people don't, don't, don't have certain addictions and have to, have, to, have to depend on things in their life. They don't have addictions. Dead people don't have that. Dead people don't abuse other people. Dead people, they don't have a lot of the worry. They don't judge other people. Dead people aren't jealous, of, right? Are dead people jealous? No. See, Jesus was saying, listen, if you'll do it my way, if you'll die to yourself and if you'll live to me, you'll learn a whole new way to live. In essence, he was saying, die to yourself, and then you'll be fully alive. And this is a central teaching for Jesus. Here's my question for you. What do you need to die to today? What have you been being the boss over in your life? And you're hearing the word from Jesus today to saying, you know what? I need to surrender this thing over to Jesus and let him call the shots in that area of my life. Or maybe you'd say, in my whole life. Jesus knows it's better for us if we're living as young, right, like a child. Jesus knows we're better off dead. Write this one down. Here's another one. Jesus taught that we're better off dependent, that we're better off dependent. What do you mean that, Stephen? I mean that you're pulling your power not from yourself, but you're pulling your power from him, and you're leaning on him as you journey through life. One time Jesus was teaching this way. In John 15, he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He was saying, listen, if you ever want to accomplish something that is going to be eternal, you have to be plugged into me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Be dependent on me. I wanted to give you an illustration of this in my own life about how This came really front and center for me about my own sometimes dependence upon myself. Uh, And and here's the deal. You'll know you're depending on yourself when you're filled with worry, when you're filled with frustration, when you can't sleep at night. You know you're depending on yourself in those kind of moments. When we first arrived here, Julie and myself and our three little babies moved here to Henry County to plant this church. We were coming in. We didn't know a soul. We didn't know a soul in Henry County, and we knew that God had called us to start a life-giving congregation here that was missional, that was reaching, trying to reach lost people. And so for the first, I would say the first six months, I held that whole, I held that task, I held that call, I held that job of planting a church really close to my own vest. I held it really close to myself. And so I lived with it every day. I worked on it every day. I stressed over it every day. I, 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 went, I tried to meet people and da-da-da-da-da. I was just trying to do everything I could to, to give myself fully to this thing. And I'm driving down the road one day, and God just kind of hit the pause button. And, and by the way, he hit the pause button in a moment that I'm complaining. You ever been complaining to God before? Okay, God, why is it going this way? I'm sure I was giving him my laundry list of complaints. And in a moment, I was actually at a stoplight. I was on Hudson Bridge Road sitting right there across from Chick-fil-A. And I heard the still small voice of God say, is it your church or is it my church? I said, well, if it's your church, then you can have it. I really did. And I meant it with my whole heart. What I was saying was, it's your church. And I've been holding this thing way too close to me. And I've been dependent upon 
my gifts, my skills, my talent, my intellect, my connections, all my energy. I've been holding it right here. And that's not the best way to do this. That day, just shortly after that red light, I surrendered this whole church to God. I said, this is your church, not my church. And it's on you if it, if it works, and it's on you if it doesn't. You know, there's freedom in that, right? There's freedom. I said, it's on you if it works, and on you if it doesn't. And I let it go. Now, here's what I knew. I knew that I still had to be dependent on him every day, and that he wanted me to be in cooperation with him, trying to be used by him. I knew that, right? So I don't just let it go. But what I do is I, I completely trust in him. I'm dependent on him, and I release it. And I wonder for you, don't you see that that's the best way to live? I mean, sometimes we just trust. We're, we're too dependent on ourselves. And let's confess it. We're Americans. We've learned to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and take care of ourselves. We learned that. At a very young age, we learned that, right? What in your world, question real quickly, what in your world are you still depending on your own strength for? What is it that you're depending upon you and your intellect for? What is it that you need to just let go and trust God with and say, God, I need to depend on you for this. I'm going to trust you for this. Jesus knew that you're better off young. He knew that you're better off dead. He knew that you were better off dependent. Write this one down. He knew that you were better off, and I, we, are better off connected. Connected. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean that not only connected in with Him every day, but I mean connected in with other believers. This was so important to Jesus. He didn't do life as a lone ranger. And by the way, He was the God-man. And here's what I want to tell you. If anybody on the, uh, the planet could ever accomplish the greater work that God put them on the planet to do based on their own, their own skill and their own power, it would have been Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus said, I'm not going to do it alone. Jesus grabbed other people. He depended on other people. He depended on his father. He connected in with other people and he entrusted his ministry to them and it changed the world. Even Jesus was connecting in with other people. So here's my question for you around your connectivity. It's a starting question that we'll get to kind of how it, how it works with connectivity. But here's my question for you. Is there a moment in your life when you track back in your past, is there a moment when it comes to your faith in Christ or your journey with Christ that you were more passionate than you are right now? I want you to just think about that. Answer that question. Is it yes or no? Was there a time in your past where you were more passionate than you are right now? And here's the second question. If that is the case, here's the question. What happened? What happened? And I can tell you what happened. Number four happened. Number four right here. You either stopped unplugging daily from the Father. You either stopped meeting with Him regularly to let Him just teach you and feed you or just be in His presence. You stopped that morning thing that I call a TOG, T-A-W-G, time alone with God. You guys heard me talk about it so many times. Fifteen minutes, a Bible and a chair can change your life. It can bring back your passion. Fifteen minutes, a chair and a Bible can bring back your passion. That T-A-W-G, that talk, that time alone with God, you stopped doing it somewhere along the way, and your passion went out the door. It was either that or it was another one, and you got to listen to this one too. You, you forgot how important it was to get with God's people. See, it's really important that you get with God's people. I, I think metaphorically of the, of the charcoal fire, and you just take that one charcoal and just place it off the side. You know, the rest of the charcoal fire stays hot. That one grows cold real quickly, right? Right? Was there ever a time in your world that's in your past that you had more passion than you have today? What happened? 
Well, you either stop getting connected daily to your father or you stop getting connected to the family of God. And, and Jesus, Jesus lived this out and it's so important. I like this story. I just got to share it because this is about the resurrection and I'm in a series called Risen right now. Let's read that story about those two guys traveling on the road. You remember they're traveling the road and Jesus, the resurrected Christ, came and, and traveled with them? Remember that story? And he kept them from recognizing him. I don't know exactly how he did that. But they could not recognize him. And then he started teaching them about how Jesus came to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he was just teaching them all on the road. And then all of a sudden he broke the bread, right? Read it with me real quick. It says in Luke 24, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Can I just hit the pause button for a minute? Can you imagine? I, I, sometimes I see scripture and I just, I'm like, I, I see it in movie form and I just imagine what it would be like to be in that moment. Jesus takes bread. They don't know who this guy is. He's a stranger to them. He takes bread, he breaks it, and he reaches out to them. And as they reach out to take the bread, their eyes open up and the man they saw die on the cross is standing right there in front of them. And how about this one? And then he disappears. And I envision like bread falling to the table or falling to the ground. I know I'm a movie guy. But I envision the bread like falling down. And I, and I envision those two guys looking at each other. Can you imagine what went through their body? Can you imagine what went through their veins? Can you imagine with me what went through their eyes? The Bible says... They recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Do you remember what they did? The Bible says they ran seven miles. They ran seven miles. They did a little, you know, a little, 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 little run, right? And they showed up to meet with the other disciples, and they brought their passion with them, saying, he is alive. What I get out of the scripture is two things. You get that one-on-one presence with Jesus. You see how that connectivity brings back the fire. It did it for them. You see how that brings back the fire. But here's the other thing. They weren't alone. They had each other. And then they went back with the others. They were connected in with the other believers. Jesus taught, you're better off young. I wonder what that means for you today. He taught, you're better off dead. How do you need to die? You want to live the risen life? You figure out how to die to yourself. He taught, you're better off dependent. You're the, you're, you're the branch. You're not the vine. You need to plug into him. He says you're better off connected with him and with others. And then finally, write this one down. He says, Jesus taught that I'm better off missional. Missional. I don't even know if that's really a word because uh, my word program wouldn't, it would always keep it read. But you're, you're better off missional. And what I mean by that is, listen, here in America, we know this. We know that the American life is the safe life, is the well-protected life, is the rich life, right? Let's be honest, right? Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? We're the richest people on the planet. There ain't no doubt about that. The American life is the safe life. It's the protected life. It's the comfortable life. It's the rich life. Guys, God didn't put you on the planet. Listen carefully. God didn't put you on the planet so you could play it safe. God didn't put you on the planet just so you could be comfortable. God didn't put you on the planet just so you'd be rich and do nothing with the riches He's poured into your life. 
God didn't put you on the planet so that you could be in your little protected zones. God put you on the planet for a purpose. You have a unique God purpose. And if, you ne- if nobody's ever told you this today, I want to tell it to you, okay? Sometimes I have people come to me and tell me when I say this kind of thing, they say, nobody's ever told me that before. Here, I want to tell it to you today. I want to tell it to everybody in this congregation, those who are listening beyond on our podcast. God puts you on this planet. He knows your name. He knows your fingerprint. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he has a job for you to do that nobody on the planet can do what you can do. I promise that. I had somebody speak that in my life one day, and I said, that's true. Zip, there's a plan God has for you. I promise you, there ain't another soul on the planet that can do what Zip Hinton can do. And that's for all of us. How cool is that, right? How cool is that that he has a plan for our lives? Ephesians 2.10 says this, before you were born, he knew the good works that he wanted to do through you. God wants you missional. I'm going to say it a little differently. God don't need fans. He needs followers. He needs players. He needs people who don't keep stats and don't keep signed jerseys in their rooms. He needs people who will sweat and grind. He needs people who will get in the arena and play the game. He needs people who know that this is a mission. And you know that Tribune, you remember that Tribune in that movie? He was nothing. He was living for himself. It was all about his money and it's all about his future and it's all about peace one day. And by the end of the movie, you know what he's like? Game changer. Game changer. He stands with the other disciples. He watches Jesus rise up into the air. And Jesus says these words, the last scripture that I've got there for you in the outline. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And the tribune's whole life has changed. The tribune is walking with a whole new purpose, a whole new mission in his life because he knows his life is better off missional. Now, here's my question for you. What does that mean for you, Patrick? What's that mission look like for you this week? How important is it that you're young, that that you're dependent, that you're connected, that you're dead so that you can do God's mission? Mark, how about you? What's your mission this week? It's going to look different than his. Every one of us, every one of us, God wants you missional. He wants you missional. You see that little box at the bottom of your outline? By the way, can I ask our worship team to come on up? They're going to lead us in a worship song. I want you to write some of that box, but before I do it, I want to say a couple of words. Everybody in the world is trying to figure out how to live longer. Sometimes I watch the commercials on TV about the vitamins and all the stuff you can take to live longer, right? Everybody's trying to live longer. But let me, let me convince you of something. That's not the issue. It, the number of years you live on this planet is not the issue. It's how you live and what you live for. You got your pen? Why don't you just write this in that little box? Write this in the box. It's not the years in your life that matter. It's the life in your years. It's not the years in your life that matter. It's the life in your years. And if we know that from anybody, we know that from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, by the time he was 33... He'd already been crucified, right? Here's the coolest part. He had already finished his mission. At 33, he finished his mission. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to get your passion back. I want to challenge you to get your fire back. I want to challenge you to say, you know what? If you've run out of gas, time to fill back up. 
I hope you're getting a little bit of gas today. But you know what? Monday's coming. And Tuesday's coming. And Wednesday's coming. So why don't you, why don't you get you a chair and a Bible and 15 minutes. And you see if your passion don't come back. Why don't you just hold this sermon outline in front of you, that Bible in front of you, and say, God, what would it look like for me to become a child? I've gotten too jaded. I've gotten too judgmental. I've gotten too political. I've gotten all that junk in me. I'm going back. I'm going back to where I began. Maybe you say, God, I need to die to this, 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 and this. Or maybe you just say, God, here's my big one. I'm dying to it today. Maybe you say, God, for too long I've been trusting on myself. I've been holding things too close to my vest. I worry I stress, I fret, I'm going to become dependent upon you. I'm going to give it over. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God wants you on fire. John Wesley said this, the world will just change if a few of Jesus' followers would get on fire and burn. They'll all come and watch. They love to see people burn. How about you? Would you pray with me today? Father, I pray for everybody in this place today. I pray you'd give us passion. I pray you'd give us passion. Not the kind of passion that wanes. Not the kind of passion of a fan. But I'm talking about the passion of followers. I pray in the name of Jesus today for every person in this crowd that you would teach us what it really means to get the one thing right. Help us get the main thing. Help us keep the main thing the main thing. That we would love the Lord our God with our, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. That we would give all of ourselves to you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us do that today and tomorrow and the next day. We're tired of being fans, God. We want to be followers. We want to, we want to suit it up. We want to get on the field with you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us today with your spirit. Give us your passion. And Lord, let us follow you wholeheartedly. We receive today the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, let me just pause for a minute. Today we're going to baptize Lynn, and this team's going to lead us in worship. And at the close of the service, I'm going to pray over our food, by the way. And so you guys are free to go ahead and start eating, all right? The food will be blessed, all right? We'll eat. But before I baptize Lynn, let me just tell you this. It is so important that you've made your peace with God. I'm talking all today about passion and what it means to be on fire for God. But if you need to become a Christ follower, it's just simply as simple as this. You can say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. Make your home in me. It's as simple as that. And that can happen for you. You know, there's some people in this church who have done that kind of quietly and some people who have done that. Let us know. There's some people who need to do that. Maybe that's one of you guys. But the first thing that you're supposed to do after you do that is say, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. If you've made that decision in the recent past, let us know that. I'd love to, for you to be poured or sprinkled or immersed. I'd love for you to have that moment of baptism like you're going to see with Lynn this morning. And if you've never done that before, but you're a believer, hey, it's about time, okay? Hey, let us know. We'd love to have that as part of your spiritual journey, okay? And if you've not yet trusted Christ, today you can do it. It doesn't take a prayer. It doesn't take a preacher. It just takes an open heart. Hey, pray with me, and I'm going to pray over our, our, our offering and let these guys lead us in worship. Father, would you bless this offering in the next few minutes as we give it? We give back to you all that is yours, and Lord, you've trusted us so much. Take these, our tithes and offerings, and advance your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.